You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, Pastor Tom Wood brought us a great message about finding rest in a message titled, Rest for Your Soul. Let's check it out. So after service today, we're going to be having some time uh, with Mike and Anne that is going to be happening in the lobby. And so please stick around. Let them know how much you know, they mean to you. Let them know the different ways that they've made a difference in your life. I'm sure there's not going to be a shortage of stories. Um, so please take the time to hang out after service. And then following that time in the lobby later on at 12 o'clock, the 20s, 30s, so the young adults in the church, you are invited to stick around over Elizabeth Street. There's going to be a lunch happening um, for you guys. So if you've never been to one of these events before, before you've never hung out with the other young adults here at the church, please take some time this afternoon. Come hang out. It's definitely going to be a good time. Sound like a plan? Alrighty, well, this, uh, this week I met with somebody and uh, they sort of started to ask about um, the sermon notes that we have. So every week someone will get up and share a message and there's notes that we work from. They ask, you know, well, how, come, you know how can we follow along? How can we can get the notes? So about a month ago, we started putting all the sermon notes online. So if you go to our website, you go to, you know, wordoflifeag.org slash notes, you'll see all the sermon notes that are up there. When I say all of them, starting a month ago. So you have all our notes starting a month ago, and then that gets updated typically early in the week. And so tomorrow uh, or Tuesday, we'll update that website. So if you want to see the sermon notes, you want to catch up with what happened in service or something stood out, and you want to go back and have a look, you can always go back and check out that part of the website. And one thing that I don't think I've ever talked to the church about or ever sort of explored with everybody is really this idea of um, how do we decide what we preach on and what we teach on on a Sunday morning? And you could talk to 12 different preachers and you'll get 12 different answers, I'm sure. But for us here at the church, there's a, a few different ways that we'll kind of decide what it is that we're going to speak on. It might be Megan and I will decide on a, a series topic. And so, um, you know, you may remember last summer we went through the I Am sayings of John through John's gospel. And so we kind of looked at, you know, decided that, that was going to be a great plan to walk through over the summer. And we identified, you know, I think it was um, eight weeks of sermons that were kind of laid out at that point. There have been other times where um, you'll read a Bible verse and it will just just leap out to you, and you'll just know that that's what you need to work through, and that's what you need to teach through on the following Sunday. Um, other times, you'll talk to someone, and you'll start to listen to what the congregation is saying, and you guys will be on my mind, or on Megan's mind, or Pastor Lisa, or whoever it is that's speaking, and thinking about the cares and concerns of the things that are weighing on your shoulders, and we'll address that on a Sunday morning. And i got to let you know that right now, as uh, I'm in this Sunday, this was a blank page. There was no sort of predetermined scripture we were going to go on. We're not in the middle of a series. It was a blank page, which, as anyone will tell you, is the toughest. Because if you've got some kind of guardrails, at least you kind of got a start to find a starting point. Blank page is just, there's a big Bible. And you're trying to figure out what it is that the Lord wants to share with the people. And so that's where you just go to prayer and you're just like, okay, Lord, what's it this week? And you just believe and you trust that the Lord is going to illuminate something that there can be a confidence as a preacher that you're supposed to bring to the congregation. And I got to tell you, I cannot shake this verse that I've shared with the church close to every weekend for the past two months. I can't shake it. If you've been around church for the past few months, you'll know what verse I'm talking about, but I, I can't shake this. What I'm about to share with you one more time, I wholeheartedly believe is a verse and a promise and an invitation from Jesus 
that this generation, our generation, the generation that we're alive in, the community where we live, the high school you go to, the college you go to, the workplace you're in, your family, I wholeheartedly believe that this is a promise from Jesus himself that we need. And because we need it, I cannot step, I cannot step away. It keeps coming back. It keeps becoming alive to me. And I have to share it with you as often as the Lord prompts me that I have to share it. So as I share this this morning, I hope that there's something fresh in here. I hope there's a, a renewed sense of you know, being energized by what the Lord's got to say and what it is, the promise that Jesus made 2,000 years ago to a group of his followers. I'm going to share it with you one more time. And I can't promise if it's going to be the last time. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And today of all the different things that we could focus on and even have been focused on in the past number of weeks, what I wanna lock in on today is that portion of this promise from Jesus that you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. The line rest for your soul, in, in a sense we all know what it means. We could craft a technical definition of what the word soul means, but instinctively we know that it means our, our, our true personhood, our inner self, our true self, who we really are. It's not encompassed by the physical, but it's in the essence of who we really are, our personality, and all that makes us rest for our soul. We all know what it means to be tired and worn out in our soul. Back in Easter, when again, I was still on this verse, I shared with the church that this whole idea about being weary, it, it's not being tired because of a busy weekend. You know, I had a busy day yesterday and I got home and I was tired after doing a lot of different stuff, running around with kids and mowing the lawn and all the stuff. I, I was tired, but it's not weary. You become weary over a long period of time. Essentially, it's carrying too much for too long. That's what gets us to the point where we're weary. I remember there was um, a time I worked in a, what I would describe as a dysfunctional workplace. And there was all sorts of bad stuff that was going on and it was chaotic and you know, there was leadership with some extreme unhealth and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it got to a point where two of my coworkers had been fired under strange circumstances and the boss kind of came into my office and said, you know, hey, how's everything going? And I just had to say, not good. Things need to change. And we spent an hour and a half going through all the different things that I would say in the office were, were unhealthy and things that were, you know, not how things should go and people weren't being treated the way that they definitely should be treated and all these different things. And at the end of it, he said, you know what I think would help is um, if you took the weekend off. And I was like, that's not the fix. We, we, I, I, you know, to fix what I've just brought to you is not a weekend off. When we truly are weary, we don't need an extra long lunch. We don't need a nap. True weariness is we need something different. We need something new. Now throughout the Old Testament, there are two ways that God would bring rest to his people. The first is that he would bring them to the promised land, both the first time when Joshua went in and conquered the promised land, and then also when the Israelites returned from Babylon from exile. 
But it's that promised land is a big way. If you read the, the Old Testament, you'll see that God brought rest to his people by bringing them to the promised land. The second way is that he would defeat their enemies in battle. So the land and defeating them in battles. Now think about what these two things represent to have God Almighty fighting your battles. To face life's toughest days with God right beside you. To know that God is going before you, making a way where there is no other way. And the rest that can be found in the promised land. That brings stability. To have the promised land and a land to call your own, a land that God has given you. It means longevity and roots. In a chaotic world, it means being settled and established. If God's rest is demonstrated in the Old Testament, as God defeating the enemies of his people and the provision of land, that hopefully inspires us to know that he is with us, going before us and making a way and that we can find peace and stability in the chaos of the world. My friends, the simple thing that I want you to grab a hold of today is that you can find rest for your soul. You can find rest for your soul. Now, I want to take a minute. I want to invite every single person here to reflect on what that means for you. Rest for your soul. That's a promise from Jesus. Where do you need rest for your soul? Think about it. Where are you tired? Where are you worn out? Where have you been carrying too much for too long? Where are you absolutely the end of the rope? What are you done fighting? What chaos and crazy are you done dealing with? Where do you need rest for your soul? Because that's the promise from Jesus. It's not my question. It's not my invitation. This is not a promise from Tom Wood. It's not a promise from Word of Life Church. I'm only repeating what Jesus has been promising his followers for 2,000 years. It's a promise that speaks to eternity and talking about eternal rest with him in the kingdom of heaven. But it also speaks to rest for your soul here on earth. The rest that Jesus promises is the promise of something new and something different. It's not an extended lunch break. Consequently, it's not a promise of sitting down and having loads of naps and each and every day just getting up at 10 o'clock. That's not the rest that Jesus is promising. Rest is not some kind of cryptic code for being inactive. I've always found it interesting that Adam had work and responsibilities in the garden, in perfection. In absolute perfection, Adam woke up every day with a to-do list. It's repeated over and over again that jobs that are mindless and have little to no challenge are notoriously high in turnover of personnel. There's something within us that wants to achieve and wants to be active rather than doing nothing. And we can learn something about this from some biblical examples. The first thing is the promised land that I've already mentioned today in this verse from Exodus. This is God initially telling Moses that Moses was going to go and deliver the nation of Israel out of slavery and bring them to a land, and a land that was going to give them rest. 
Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, milk and honey, I don't think anybody has ever read that promise and read that word from God, that instruction from God to Moses to go and deliver the people to a land of milk and honey and has ever thought to themselves, wow, there's going to be streams of milk. There's going to be streams of honey. That isn't what comes to our mind. Instead, we should look at it, and it's appropriate to look at it, that this is the perfect place to raise livestock. This is the perfect place for us to raise livestock, so much so that there will be an abundance of milk. The honey, which is likely talking about a, a honey or a syrup that's made from dates, meaning that it's an optimal place for growing crops. The conditions of the promised land, the big appeal that God is putting to the Israelites is that now we can work hard raising livestock and growing crops, and we will see the fruit of our labors. The promise was never that they could kick back and wait for the milk and honey to appear, but rather that you will see your work and there will be an ease to it. You'll plant and rejoice at the harvest. It's not a promise of early retirement, rather the promise of working with joy. This idea continues with the whole theme of Sabbath. And in Deuteronomy, it says this, Deuteronomy 5, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now what's important with this, and what often doesn't get said about the Sabbath, and certainly by the time of Jesus, the religious leaders had seemingly forgotten this principle of Sabbath, is that this was given, and God reminded them that, remember, you were slaves. This whole idea of Sabbath is put in contrast with the slavery that the people were rescued out of. Slaves don't get a day off once a week. Freed people do. People that God delivered get a day off once a week. Unfortunately, by the time of Jesus, this whole idea of Sabbath had become a religious ritual, and there were so many rules and regulations around Sabbath that it kind of sucked the life out of it. And Jesus reminds people, Sabbath was given for people. People aren't here for the purpose of Sabbath. Sabbath is a rest. Sabbath is a blessing, and it stands in stark contrast to the slavery that the people of God were experiencing. A part of this means that there's a trust that God can do more with our six days of labor than we can do with seven. There is, of course, the world-famous example of this, Chick-fil-A, <laughs> which none of us are having for lunch today. Now, any business... Any business should struggle if they're closed for 14.29% of the week. I even heard, um, I got a, a friend of mine, he owns a Chick-fil-A in Philadelphia, and he was telling me that um, there is a Chick-fil-A in one of the um, NFL stadiums. I think it was, um, I think it was the Texas. I think it was the um, Cowboys. So I, think Cow I believe it was Cowboys Stadium. There is a Chick-fil-A. And the Chick-fil-A would not open on Sundays. Now, as any football fan knows, there's a lot of football happening on Sundays, which means there's a lot of money the Cowboys are not making because Chick-fil-A will not open. 
and they offered Chick-fil-A millions and millions to open up on Sunday. Chick-fil-A said, no, God can do more with our six days than we can do with our seventh. On a side note, I was actually driving down 31 the other day and we drove past Trinity Assembly of God where my friends Dave and Aaron Herwick are pastors there. And it was the first time I realized how close Trinity is to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Good for you, Pastor Dave. I don't know what to say. Another example of this principle in play from the book of Joshua. Joshua 10.7. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua. He's getting ready to go into battle. For I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Down to verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon. And the moon valley, moon over the valley of Elijah. If I said that incorrectly, I'm not surprised. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set us on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now this is a well-known moment in the life of Joshua as he's leading the Israelites to battle. That the Lord literally stopped the sun so that they could keep fighting. Interestingly, a group of astronomers believe that they've identified the day in which this happened. Apparently, this took place on October 30th, 1207 BC. It's an interesting rabbit hole to fall into. But what's standing out for us, and the reason I'm bringing this to us today, is that there's not an absence of fighting. But rather, God is making it possible for them to keep fighting. He's not shortening the time of the fighting, but rather lengthening the time of fighting. God's with them. The victory's coming. But if it were me, I would assume that it would have been better to have the fight end early, let the sunset early so that the fighting can stop for the day. But the Israelites were winning the fight. And so God prolonged and extended the victory. Another example for this is Luke 5. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out onto the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, this is the key moment, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. My friends, to be weary is to fish all night long and get nothing. To rest is working hard to drag in the abundance God has provided. There's a traditional Irish blessing that has been on my mind as I was getting ready for today. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. 
May the sun shine warm upon your face, the rains fall soft upon your fields, and until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. And that line, may the wind be always at your back. This, this picture, this idea of there being a force moving you along, that you're up, you're moving, but there's an ease to things, that your efforts are making a difference. You're taking a step forward, and the step feels like it's actually taking you where you wish to go. To be weary, from our examples from the Bible, is that it's toiling in the desert, and it's trying to farm, and trying to raise crops, and trying to raise livestock, but you're in a desert, and nothing is growing, nothing is coming. It is hard work, and there's nothing to show for it. But rest is enjoying the perfect conditions for farming so that you can enjoy the fruit of your labor and you can feed your family and share with others. Rest is the promised land where milk and honey are flowing. To be weary is to work seven days a week without any sign of a break. It's to be tough, grueling labor, and it's the only thing that consumes your life each and every day. That makes us weary. But the rest is seeing that God can indeed accomplish more with six days of work if we trust in Him. And if we trust him and we take a Sabbath and we compare it to the seven days of us going full speed, morning till night, then we enjoy the rest and the refreshment while trusting God with the outcome. From Joshua, to be weary is hoping that you're strong enough or strategic enough or equipped enough to fight those who are against us. To find the rest of God is that when you're winning the battle that God promised to deliver to you, you've got extra daylight so you can finish the job before the enemy can retreat and regroup. It's so that you can keep fighting a battle that you are winning. And with Jesus and the fishermen, to be weary is to fish all night long and have nothing to show for it. To have rest is working hard to drag in the abundance so much so that you have to ask some friends to come help. We all want rest for our souls. Some of us may be more desperate than others, but we all want rest for our souls. If someone has never made the decision to follow Jesus, this is the answer. If someone has made the decision to follow Jesus, keep focus on him, that is the answer. I don't have the desire and I've never had the desire and I don't want to respond to the difficulties of life by pretending that they're not there. That's not the right attitude to have when life throws us difficulties. But it is important to remember as his followers that are seeing this promise of rest being kept in our lives. That when there was a storm, Jesus was asleep on the boat. The disciples freaked out, but he didn't. And maybe we should have the same approach. On the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus concludes the sermon in Matthew 7... He tells us to build our life on him because a storm is going to come. And when it does, you want your foundation and your roots to be strong. You want it to be built on him so that the storms aren't devastating. We're also taught that when we're in times of trouble, and a defense and a response is demanded of us, that the Holy Spirit in our lives is going to bring us the things to say. This is the kind of rest that we're promised. With Jesus in the boat, with our foundation secured on him, with the Holy Spirit helping every step of the way, we can find rest. The promise of rest from our souls, from Jesus, it echoes Jeremiah the prophet that was written about 600 years before Jesus. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 6:16. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest 
for your souls. Now this verse from Jeremiah is the only other place in the Bible that uses that phrase, rest for your souls. This verse is presumably on Jesus' mind as he's teaching the verses that we've been reading in Matthew 11, and it's also a safe assumption that this verse is known to the people he's talking to. As Jesus makes his invitation to people to come to him so they can find rest for their souls, this verse should have come alive in their minds. This verse we just read from Jeremiah and his instruction is to stop and look around, to ask for the old ways of godliness, and then to walk and follow him, to travel the path. Jesus frequently said, follow me. And what do we do with that? We can stop, look around, and we can see the hurt and upset and weariness in the world around us. We can find new hope in the ancient promises of God. We can find peace, hope, joy, and purpose in following Jesus. We can follow him on the narrow road. We can surrender to him. We can repent and embrace the promises of God. We can allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and minds and establish new values within us. We can find rest for our souls. Unfortunately, this verse from Jeremiah doesn't stop there. Carrying on, Jeremiah 6.16. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention. Life has a way of making us forget. The world has a way of making us stop looking for the rest for our souls. The whole thought of rest was on my mind for this weekend. To get ready for today, I, I thought about a passage from the book of Hebrews. And there's a passage in Hebrews 4 that talks a lot about the rest that God has promised and the rest that can be found in Him. And so I looked up this verse and my anticipation was I was going to find this verse and it was going to give me great encouragement. It was going to be a great uplifting verse. And instead what I caught was a massive challenge from the book of Hebrews. Here's just a small portion of this much larger passage. Hebrews 4, 6. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Talking about the generation of Israelites in the Old Testament. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. Talking about the ministry of Jesus. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest... God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Now this whole passage, it's a lot longer and it's upsetting to read. That people would push aside the invitation from God to find rest. It's troubling and even confusing to read about people rejecting the message of Jesus. My friends, there's an old saying. When the congregation is sleeping, wake up the preacher. What does that say for us as a church? What does that say about us as a people with a message? Is it their fault that they're not listening to the message? Maybe. But for us... Our responsibility is to help people see that the road we often want to take doesn't take us the places we want to go. 
Our responsibility is to have a true love and concern for people. We have a responsibility to extend the invitation that is made to all of us. Our responsibility is to show Jesus to the world. Our responsibility, my responsibility, is to extend Jesus' invitation and repeat his promise to those around us. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Come to me, those of you that have pushed me away. Come to me, those of you that have rejected my message. Come to me. Those of you that up until this point have wanted nothing to do with you, come to me. Those of you that think you know better than I do, come to me. Those of you that are hurt by churches, come to me that have got more questions than answers. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. This is a message the world needs to hear and believe. In spite of all the hardships and weariness that you face, we can find rest. Just like the Israelites were promised a promised land, we can find joy and fulfillment in our daily life. We, work doesn't have to be this awful, terrible sentence. Instead, it can be filled with joy as we see the work of our hand producing something is worth something. That our time is not spent just building things, but instead there's meaning and purpose. We can have a Sabbath. We can have that trust in God to achieve more when we rest in Him. And then battles when the fights inevitably come. We can know and we can be confident that He is ready and He is prepared to fight and He has gone before us. And like that picture of the disciples fishing, dragging in full nets is hard work. But I'd rather do that than spend all night throwing nets over the wrong side of the boat. It's a lot more restful when we're pulling in abundance than when we have nothing to show for it. That promise from Jeremiah again. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. This is an invitation to find God, to come to him. He is not hidden. His love for you was demonstrated and proven on the cross. His promise of rest is trustworthy. My friends, this is truly life-changing. The call to follow Jesus is the chance to be born again, to live included and welcomed in the kingdom of God. It's the opportunity to have the right to be called a child of God. We don't need temporary relief to find rest for our souls. We don't need to have a break. We don't need to compose ourselves. We don't need to regain a sense of order and then leave Jesus behind. We need Jesus to get us through. We need Jesus each and every day. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. But make no mistake, we all desperately need a Savior. We all desperately need Jesus to find rest for our souls. We need lifelong life change. To find rest for our souls, we need lifelong life change, permanent transformation. And the whole idea of longevity and endurance was on my mind, largely because we're honoring Mike and Ann Chiz today. And it was on my mind, and I wasn't sure how it all kind of knit together with the scripture, but it was on my mind, this idea of longevity. And Mike and Ann are a great testimony of just a couple that for decades just been committed to the church and just committed to a life of faithfulness. True heroes. 
And with that on my mind, I read this verse from Deuteronomy this week, and it really stood out to me. It says, remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father, and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders, and they will tell you. So I inquired from one of my elders and called Mike. That wasn't a joke. That, 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 that was a factual statement. So I really did call Mike. And I just sort of said to him, I was like, you know, Mike, I, I, this whole idea of longevity, you know, not fly by night, not I'm in a pinch, I need some help urgently, quick, get me out of a jam, but longevity, decades, season after season, ups, downs, in-betweens, all of it, the endurance, what would you tell me? And he rattled off a few things, and I wrote them down, and I've been thinking about these a lot this week, and I want to share with you, Mike shared four things. So the first thing, wisdom for longevity, number one is get involved, meaning don't be anonymous. Get involved. Don't be anonymous. I'm a broken record at this point, and I guess I'm okay with it. We have groups, we have teams, we have stuff. The secondary reason for you to join a group or be a part of a team, the secondary reason is to get the stuff done. The primary reason, the, the high primary reason is for you to get to meet some people around the church. It, I, say, I say this often, and I promise I mean it every single time I say it. It's a crying shame if someone breezes into church five minutes late and then leaves five minutes early and never gets to meet anybody. If you're a part of the church, someone should know your name. There should be someone that you can contact if you're in an emergency situation. If you're having a rough day, there should be someone that you can lean on. People should know your name. If you're not here for three weeks, my friends, someone should notice. Get, get some people around you. Meet somebody. Which means for those of us that have been a part of the church for a while, this may be uncomfortable. But go out of your way and introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Say, hey, I don't think we've met before. My name's so-and-so. We need to be a community where people are known. We're not church because people come and have ministry happen at them. I was looking today, I was outside greeting, and I kind of looked in the double doors, and, and I saw that the cafe was packed. There were kids in there. There were young people in there. There were parents in there. There were retired people there. And it was just like, man, that's as much church as what we're doing right now. When we hang around afterwards and we honor and we spend time with Mike and Anne and we talk about stories and we get together with each other, that is just as much church as this is right now. Getting to meet friends from church, it's invaluable. Getting people that know your name, people that you trust enough to be able to call them when life is tough, that is church. Get involved. We don't ask you to come to church cleanup day because we need another person raking leaves. My son Moses will do it all by himself. It's fine. We invite you to get involved first and foremost. A high, high, high priority is because we don't want you being disconnected from the church. We don't want you to drift in and drift out and nobody know your name and nobody be, have a meaningful relationship with you. Now, it's nice to get the reeks, reek, you know, leaves raked and Moses thanks you for turning up. But I promise, first and foremost is not the stuff. The stuff will get figured out. First and foremost is for you to meet people and be a part of this community, not a spectator, not a pew filler. You are worth more than that. You mean more to us than that. You are not a seat filler. 
All right, I'm going off. Okay. Hey, Luke, how you doing? I am a numbers person. Numbers make sense to me. Like the logic of a spreadsheet just, it makes sense. And so we track numbers, we track metrics. Of all the numbers we track, the one that's least important is how many people turned up to church on Sunday. Because that doesn't, that doesn't mean much. I'm glad you're here. I love coming to church on Sunday. The numbers that we high five about are people getting on the team, people going through baptism, people going through learning to follow Jesus coaching, people going through life path. Because all of this speaks to people growing in their faith. It speaks to them growing in the community. Because church was never designed for people just to turn up, have worship happen at them, and then have prayer ministry happen at them, and then a sermon happen at them. But no, this was designed to be a community of faith. We're talking about finding rest for our souls. We're finding rest for our souls with getting connected and finding each other and this being a community and a safe place. Not somewhere we go and spend an hour and a half just having church happen at us, watching church happen. Get connected. Don't take my word from it. This was Mike's list. And after 41 incredible faithful years of building this church, that's what he said we should be doing. So whether you take me seriously or not, please listen to Pastor Mike. He knows what he's talking about. All right, number two. Wisdom for longevity. Number two, make sacrifices. Make sacrifices. Know your priorities. Two simple truths about sacrifice. The first is that sacrifice is costly. And secondly, it believes for something better. In the same way that we'll say for retirement, it's a sacrifice. You're putting money that you could be spent on whatever today, and you put it to one side so that for retirement, it will help you enjoy your retirement years rather than be financially strapped. It's a sacrifice. It's giving up something good today in anticipation that something better is coming. It's getting up early in the morning and missing out on sleep and getting to the gym because you believe that being healthy is better. It's giving up something good with the anticipation of something better. That's the real heart of sacrifice. The first time as humanity we learn this is kids when we're playing. When little kids are playing and they first have to start sharing. That's when we first learn about sacrifice. It's mine. I want it. No, it's mine. But at some point it clicks. It's better if I give up having this all to myself so that I can include you in the game. That principle goes a long way in churches. It's worth sacrificing. It's worth prioritizing the church. I hope you enjoy being here. I say, absolutely, no qualms, no doubt about it. I love being in church. I hope that you're able to be here. I hope you see this as a priority. Wisdom for longevity. Number three, be consistent. Be consistent. Be the same person in every room. This is a quality that we admire in others. If we're with somebody and we're in one environment, let's say in a workplace, and we get to spend time with someone, we get to see how they act, and then we get a chance to go and see them with their family, if we see that they are indeed the same person in every room, there's a respect that comes with that. Conversely, if they're one person at work and they're a different person with that group of friends and there's someone else when they're with their family, and then they come to church and there's someone else yet again, we, we would all see that that's, yeah, that, 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 that's a negative. That would be something that would cause us to lose respect for someone. We should care about this for our own lives. We should care about this, to be consistent. Fourth thing, practice daily habits. 
do the boring things every day. Now when I say boring things, I don't mean they're boring because the stuff is actually incredibly important and can be exciting, but it's boring because we say it over and over and over again, but each and every time we say it, it's true. In 2,000 years of church history, no one has successfully reinvented the wheel. The boring things, read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in worship. Fellowship with one another. Those are the things. They're boring because we say them over and over again. It's not boring, the activity itself. Please understand me. But get in the Bible. Back to the Bible. I don't know if, um, if everyone's had a chance to see Jesus Revolution, the movie. It's... Every time I watch it, I cry and I'm an absolute mess. But there's a really cool moment where you go to these young hippies that have just found fresh faith in Jesus and they're all holding up these raggedy Bibles and they're so beaten up because they've been worn and highlighted and written on and it's just a cool moment in this movie just to see how God moved to that generation. But I hope your Bible is beaten up. I hope you got more notes than you're ever gonna read again in your life. I hope you got underlines. If you use the Bible on your phone, I hope you use the highlight function. I hope you're sharing pictures. I hope you're doing all the stuff. We need to get back to the Bible. That is worth spending a three-week series on. Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Why am I saying that verse? And this whole idea of rest and this whole idea of doing those simple disciplines every day. Simply feed the sheep, starve the wolf. Feed the sheep, starve the wolf. Now, in biblical imagery, the sheep is the good animal. Go out, you know, be innocent as sheep. You know, God calls us sheep. Feed that side of you. Feed your spirit. Feed your spirit with the Bible. Feed your spirit in prayer, in worship, in spending time with other believers. Feed the sheep. Starve the wolf. The wolf is one of the negative animals in the Bible. We could also use the snake or a lion, but starve the wolf. The wolf that would devour, that would eat you alive, that would take you off course, that would rob God's best from you. Starve that. Feed the sheep. Wisdom for longevity. Get involved. Make sacrifices. Be consistent. Practice daily habits. The rest that Jesus promises is a new way of going through life. It's rest where he's fighting our battles, where he's giving stability amidst the chaos of the world. I don't want to view this promise of rest as a break or a nap, but rather it's a renewed way of going through life. For me and my family, I want this rest to last a lifetime. And I want the same for you. Not a fleeting dalliance with faith, but true life change. Getting involved, making sacrifices, being consistent, and practicing the daily habits and disciplines, it's all to help ensure that our faith is strong so that the rest Jesus promises is what defines and shapes our lives. Not just when we're in an emergency and in total desperation, but also for the boring, routine, average days, just as much as when we're on the top of the world, can life get any better kind of days? This desire and need for rest for our souls it's a great equalizer. Regardless of background or social status or educational background or any other defining characteristic, we all know what it means to need rest for our souls. Maybe we're in that position right now. 
Maybe we've been previously or maybe we've seen a loved one that just can't do it anymore. And the promise to each and every one of us is that you can find rest for your soul. A couple of questions for you. If you have a moment, write these down, spend some time thinking about these, praying about these this week. The first thing is, what comes to mind when you hear about rest for your soul? Is it the stability that came with entering into the promised land? Is it the defeat of the enemies as God brought victory after victory for his people? Is it the promise of Sabbath that instead of living in slavery and seven days a week trying to do it all ourselves, but instead trusting in Him that one day a week and that God comes through because of that trust in Him? Is it the promise that God is battling on our behalf? Is it that we can enter into the promised land where there's a sense of ease? There's a sense of wind at our backs. Is it that idea of fishing and that instead of throwing the net over the side of the boat every day and getting nowhere, that instead having to bust a gut and rip your muscles off because of the abundance that God is bringing in your boat? A second question. Have you considered Jesus' invitation to find rest for your soul as a lifelong pursuit? Have you considered Jesus' invitation to find rest for your soul as a lifelong pursuit, not a fleeting dalliance, not something that happened once upon a time, not something that's gonna help get out of a jam, not until I break out of that addiction, not until I get out of this emergency, but a lifelong pursuit to follow Mike's advice, to get involved, to make sacrifices, to be consistent, and to practice daily habits. Then Jesus said, come to me all of you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Would you stand with me as we pray? Let me go back into time of worship. Lord, please. Please can this not be a theory or an idea or a concept, but Lord, may this be every believer's experience. That what they live out day after day is rest for their soul. Lord, if there's anyone here that is weary, anyone here that is worn out, anyone here that has been carrying too much for too long, please bring relief in this moment as we spend time in worship, as we spend time lifting you up and honoring who you are. Lord, please, can that rest for our souls come, fill this room. Lord, take something from today and use it to bless our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everyone, let's continue in worshiping together.